Okay, so I know that we have all of the kids in with us today. Um, so I have actually put out on the seats um, blank pieces of paper. So we're going to do something really old school, so bear with me. Um, we're going to take physical notes today. So for all of you adults, there's extra pens in the Tizen Offerings baskets. If you don't carry um, one of those writing utensils we used to have before smartphones with you. Um, but for all of the kids that are here, um, I have crayons. We have about enough crayons, one for every family. So Jamin and Aiden, would you come up and um, raise your hands, families with kids, and we're going to pass out crayons to you. Um, hopefully, you'll be able to share because you're in, in church. Uh, but um, I want you to, as I speak, I'm going to talk today about making some waves. Okay? So kids, I want you to draw pictures of waves. And how many of you have seen waves at the ocean before? Okay. So most of us. And how many of you have seen a movie where you have seen waves at the ocean before? Great. So everybody is familiar with the concept of waves. Um, so I'm going to talk about making some waves. So kids, you can draw pictures of waves. And as I talk, I'm going to give you some assignments. Okay, that's the professor coming out in me. I'm getting ready for a new semester to start. And for those of you that are really on top of things, I even have prizes. And I have some little jumping frogs. Parents, you're welcome. And as we know, frogs are not afraid of water. They jump straight into the waves. So we're going to throw some frogs out this morning to those of you who pay attention and have some answers for me. Okay, so I'm going to talk today, as I said, about making some waves. And I think we make waves in three ways. The first is through a view of God's mercy. And we sang the whole worship service, these awesome, awesome songs about God's steadfast love for us, God's mercy for us. And I think we make some waves through sacrifice, through recognizing that we are holy and pleasing to God. And so we have something to sacrifice in our lives, that we can lay our lives down in sacrifice. And we make those waves finally through our worship. And thank God that our worship isn't just 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. But those 30 minutes actually give us a view of God's mercy. Give us a moment to step back and reflect and say, oh my goodness, God is so good. His mercy endures forever. He doesn't have to come, but he always does. He called us before we even knew him. And this worship is what positions our eyes to understand that on Monday morning, everything we do now is worship. So I'm going to talk today out of two passages. I'm going to talk out of Romans 12.1, and I'm going to talk out of Matthew 25. And we're going to read the entire chapter of Matthew 25 today. And I realized the last time I spoke, I was getting ready to go on a journey. I was getting ready to go to back to Asia for the first time in 15 years. And I had prayed my whole life for Asia. And right when I thought I was getting ready to go, um, God put something in my life to hold me in that moment. Because God had things he was developing in me to the day when he could take me back. But I didn't just go to Asia this summer. If you hadn't noticed, it's okay. But I was gone a really long time this summer. Um, I ended up being in Asia a little longer than planned on accident. 
Don't lose your passport if you go abroad. Um, so I was in Asia, in several countries in Asia, and then I came back to the States. I had about a 24-hour turnaround. Um, thank God for the grace that Riley, my 11-year-old daughter, has for me. And I went to Seattle Pacific University to work on a grant. And the grant I had was to spend two weeks in a library reflecting on faith at work. So that might sound like torture to some of you, but that is actually what I'm pretty sure heaven will look like. We'll all be sitting in libraries overwhelmed by the beautiful knowledge and wisdom of who he, no, I'm just kidding. Um, But anyway, it was like heaven for me. So I spent two weeks, I was the only business person there. Um, I spent two weeks with a group of theologians talking about what does God call us to? What is our work? What is faith at work? And what does that look like? And I had no idea because a lot of times in academic spheres, theologians don't talk to the other lowly uh, academics. And, but since Martin Luther, there has been a movement and a conversation theologically about faith at work. That we are called to something more as lay Christians that everything that we do can be worship, all of the work that he gives us. And so God started unfolding this revelation to me throughout all of the journeys that I had this summer. And finally, I finished out um, the last leg of my summer, which I'm kind of trying to stretch out until school starts back up in two weeks. Um, In the last stretch of my summer, I went to L.A. for a conference. And at this conference, the whole conference, um, it was called Praxis, and it's a group of Christians who said, we want to worship God with everything that we do. And so what they did is they started a venture capital fund, and they started pulling in Christians that had ideas for things that they wanted to do for the kingdom of heaven, and they started saying, how can we worship Monday through Saturday and Sunday? And so I sat, and this closed out kind of an unfolding revelation that God was showing me throughout the summer. But you know what's amazing? As I traveled around the world and I listened to podcasts of the things that God was speaking here in St. Charles at Life Church, I heard streams of the same messages that God brought through Diana all the way back in June when I was in Asia, and then through, um, through Tim Wood while I was getting ready to go to Seattle, and then again as I came back into fellowship with all of you. So I want to talk through my unfolding revelation this summer, and hopefully we all walk away with a sense not of work, but of reflection. Because he created us in his image. And before I get ahead of myself, let's look at Romans 12.1. And Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So let's unfold this. But before I start unfolding this scripture, I want to turn to a picture that God gave me while I was in Asia. And while I was there, Diana was at the same time preaching about consecration and talking about the coming outpouring of God in this house. And the picture I got, and the reason I'm talking about waves today, is you know when you go to the beach, and I hate the beach. I'm fair-skinned and freckled, and I don't like sand. And I don't really like the water either. If I have one phobia in life, it's large sea creatures. So I'm being really real with you today. 
Um, I don't like it at all. The only reason I ever get in the water is because I'm pretty convinced my kids will get eaten. Um, but when you stand at the beach, and we lived in Florida for three years, so we would go to the beach, you know, we would have a place booked. And so whether there was a tropical storm or not, we live in a frugal world, thanks to my husband, we would go to the beach and we would enjoy the water, whether it was five foot waves or one year, remember that tropical storm year, the waves were like 24 feet tall. And they weren't 24 feet tall when you walked onto the beach. See, I'm barefoot, so you can really picture this with me today. They weren't 24 feet tall when you walked onto the beach. When you started up into the surf, they were about up to your ankles, right? And for any of you that have watched, walked the beach, you know this really tempting kind of fate that you tempt when you walk along at ankle depth, right? So you're walking along, and the waves start to kind of come, and come up and tickle your knees, right? And you're like, whoa, that was cold, and I wasn't quite ready for that, right? And then you're, you're kind of walking along, and the, and the wave that was just two feet deep, it, it pulls back out into the ocean. And you're like, I'm on dry land. There's no water. This is, this is great. And so you're, you're, you're fooled by the ocean. It's our enemy. It really is. You're fooled by the ocean to going out a little bit further. And you're like, all right, come on. Back, come back and tickle my knees again. But the next one that comes isn't two feet tall. The next one that comes knocks you over and plants your face in the sand. And it's a five-foot wave. And at this point, you're running for your life. You're like, ah, oh, my gosh. And so you know that that five-foot wave is coming. But when that five-foot wave pulls out, you know what's coming next. And you have two choices, or three. You have three, really, right? You have three choices. You can run and probably get face planted in the sand from behind, which is probably what happens to me most of the time. You can jump into the wave and ride the top of it, or you can choose the fastest and easiest path of least resistance, and that's to dive through the wave as it crests over your head. And so I have this picture of an outpouring of God coming. And we have different seasons where sometimes the outpouring of God, it feels like it's up to our knees. And it's, it's lovely. It's wonderful. We feel like we're getting cleansed and we have so much confidence as we walk along the beach in these waves. It's really pleasant and refreshing. And sometimes God comes along and his presence, it knocks us over. If you remember in the 90s, it was really weird. We would go into meetings and the presence of God would come and people would be, we created words for it because this is a great thing that Christians do. Um, and you would be slain in the spirit, right? The wave would bowl you over. And it came, and it, it was amazing when it happened, and it was weird. And people had problems with it, and other people fully embraced it, and they spent all their time falling over. And, but it kind of felt like the wave pulled back, right? The wave pulled back, the Toronto blessing, all of these different outpourings of God. And so sometimes, like in this season, I felt like, God, I feel like I could be ankle deep right now. Or maybe, maybe I'm even standing kind of on that dry, sandy surface as the waves pull out. But I know his promise when Jesus said, I'm going and I'm coming back. But in the meantime, my Holy Spirit is coming. And the Holy Spirit does all of these amazing things for us. He comforts us. He's our anointing. He's like oil. The Bible describes so many different liquids for some reason that are tied to the Holy Spirit. He's like oil that anoints us. He's like the water of the waves that washes over us. When Jesus was baptized, he was pushed back into the water of the Jordan, and then the Holy Spirit fell. 
Water and oil go together in the, in the Bible. And so we think about these waves and the, 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 the water and oil that the Holy Spirit is, is, and I really think this outpouring, this outpouring that's coming, it isn't an outpouring of his water. It's not another holiness movement. We are made holy. We have a revelation of his holiness if we stop to think. This next outpouring is going to be like waves, but waves of his oil. And his oil means several different things throughout the scripture. It can be, um, it can be anointing. It can be illumination. A deeper understanding of who he is than ever before. Or this wave can be just that washing of gladness. He's an oil of gladness instead of sorrow. And what we need is a view. So if we go back to the scripture, David, in Romans 12:1, what we need is a view of this mercy. <laughs> we have to be able to see it coming or we'll give up and we'll go back to the beach and lay on our towel. And we'll never feel it. We'll never experience it. So in view of this great mercy, and I want to turn to a few different verses to get a picture of what this view is. Because sometimes when we're standing at the beach, a wave is made up of a lot of different drops of water. And sometimes our own lamp isn't light enough to see the wave that's coming. We are desperately in need of one another. When we stand together, we are like all the drops of the wave, but we're also like all the people standing at the beach holding up their lamps so now I can see beyond my own feet. I can see the big wave that's coming, and I'm ready for it because these waves are building. It might be a 10-foot wave today and a 20-foot wave tomorrow, but there's going to be a big wave that's going to change it all, and it's going to create a new earth, and there's going to be a new creation, and he's going to redeem all things to his name. But we have to have a view of this mercy. So if we look at these passages, um, I want to go back and forth a little bit from the Old to the New Testament, and I want to look at um, Colossians 3.12, Micah 6.8, Exodus and Matthew. And we're going to touch on each of these, so don't worry um, if you don't have a chance to get them all written down right now. But let's start with what Paul is talking about in view of this mercy. What mercy? In um, in Colossians 3.12 and in Romans 12, Paul uses the word oiktermos. You all say oiktermos. Okay, you now have elementary, rudimentary understanding of Greek with me today. And oikthermos can be translated as compassion, mercy, pity in relieving sorrow and want, favor, and grace. And so we see in Romans 12, Paul is saying in view of God's mercy. And in Romans 3.12, he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, who God has shown mercy to, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with this oikthermos, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. And the beautiful thing about every time that Paul talks about mercy, Paul always talks about mercy in the plural. So he says, in view of God's mercies, these are waves of mercy. 
These are waves of loving kindness. These are waves of compassion. These are waves of relieving sorrow and want and favor and grace. And let's turn to the Old Testament view of mercy. And I love this because in view of God's mercy, we are called ourselves to put on compassion, to put on mercy ourselves. And in Micah 6, 8, a verse that all of you probably know, he says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I love this word for mercy. There's three different words, and this one is my favorite. And this one, it's the word chesed. And chesed means steadfast love, loving kindness, and mercy. And when you think about Psalms 136, you know that passage where you say over and over, his love endures forever, his love endures forever, his love endures forever. It's his chesed, his chesed, his chesed. This is a picture of the love that endures forever and ever. And God says, don't just get a view of my mercy. Take it on. Clothe yourself in it. Fall in love with my mercy. And in Exodus, we get this picture. So kids, you need to pay attention now, if you weren't. Um, In Exodus, it says, you have led in your chesed, the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. And this first water that he walked Israel through, David, if we can go to the next slide, this first water that he walked Israel through happened right before Exodus 15, or right around it. I didn't actually check that. Um, but it says, you have led your steadfast, through your steadfast love, the people that you've redeemed. So kids, what water would have stood on either side of Israel as they walked away from Egypt and towards the promise of God. Anybody know which waves God held back in Exodus? Yes, all the way in the back. Close to the Nile River. Let's go a little bit uh, east of the Nile. It's a sea, okay? So you're close. We'll throw him uh, a frog for the right geography. We'll just keep throwing him back because I can't actually throw that far. Okay, okay, cadence, yeah. The Red Sea. Okay, whoops, Mike, just keep tossing it back. We're all going to be involved in this. There's frogs now jumping all the way back. Okay, great, see? We can get everybody involved. Okay, so it starts off with the Red Sea, and the Red Sea separated Israel um, from the Promised Land. They were in slavery, but there were three other, well, there's a... um, A lot more incidents going forward when they reach the promised land. There's another body of water. And when Israel went through this body of water, it looked a lot like this as well, that God held it to either side like walls of waves. And does anybody know this one is a river? So not the Nile. It's further east. There's another river that Israel went through multiple times, and it was near Galilee in Israel. The Jordan, wow, was that what you were going to say? Okay, you get a frog, and then somebody over here gets a frog, because they said it loud enough that I heard. And then, Belle, were you going to say the Jordan? Yeah, I knew it. So you get a frog, too. Okay. Oh, oh, and we'll send, this is the last frog, so nobody has to pay attention now. Um, Send it all the way back to the back. Um, Okay, so the Jordan River, and here's the cool thing about the Jordan River. 
When Israel came to the promised land, Joshua held up his arms and the Jordan River parted. And Israel walked through the Jordan River as if on dry land. But the Jordan River story wasn't finished there. The walls of waves, that was just the beginning. Because Elijah, when he walked with Elijah to be taken up in a chariot to the Lord, also parted the Jordan River. And then when Elijah was carried up in a chariot, this is how we all hope to go, I think, um, Elijah gets the double anointing. And he turns around to go back to the people of God. And what does he do? The same thing Elijah did. He parts the Jordan River. You think, wow, the Jordan River is so pivotal in terms of the moves of God in Israel. These were two of the most um, celebrated prophets in Israel's history. But guess what? (laughs) A thousand years later, the Jordan River is there again in the story. But now we don't have um, uh, Elijah and Elisha-type prophets. We have John the Baptist and Jesus at the Jordan. And now the Jordan is imparting for them, but people are diving in to that wave. They're diving into that water for the first piece of holiness offered to all of humanity. And now John the Baptist is dipping people into the water, no longer to walk through it on dry land, walking towards the presence of God like Israel was as they went towards the, the promised land. But now he's dipping people into the presence of God, into the water to become holy. And it was so good when Diana spoke on the Holy Spirit and the anointing and the ark and the altar. Because when a sacrifice gets ready to come to the altar, it's first washed with water to be made clean. But then it's rubbed with oil to be made holy. So if we're going to consecrate ourselves, we now don't walk through the waves to salvation. But God says now jump into the waves Be fully immersed in the next thing that I'm bringing. And then as Jesus came out of the water, what happened? The Holy Spirit fell on him like a dove. And then he went to the temple and he says, like Diana said in Isaiah, uh, that God has anointed him to preach the good news. He was anointed as if with oil. Such a good word. And so we think about this, what is the oil for? The oil anointed kings, and the oil illuminates our feet. So I want to look now at Matthew 25. And Matthew 25 has been such a precious piece of passage for me this summer. In Matthew 25, we have three parables, and each of these parables, Jesus starts off and says the kingdom of heaven is like. And he's talking about his return in Matthew 24, that the day is coming. And the first parable says... At the time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps and did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom! Come out and meet him! And all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. Go get some from the merchants and buy some for yourselves. But while they were going out to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. And the virgins who were ready went with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, 
Keep watch. Because you do not know the day or the hour. And you know the disciples didn't know the day or the hour of Pentecost or Jesus' final return. They didn't know the day or the hour when the promises were going to be fulfilled, but they still went to Jerusalem and prayed, which is another example of oil, that they burned their lamps, that they put them before God, all of the anointing, all the promises of God, that they burned those, and they waited for that first coming of the Holy Spirit in anticipation of the second coming. And so when we think about this mercy, this is God's first mercy in our lives, that we've been washed and made clean, but that we've been anointed and made holy. And this holiness is not only what makes us kings and priests in the kingdom of heaven, but it also illuminates our feet so that when we go to the Bible, it can come alive. This is the illumination that five bridesmaids had and five bridesmaids lacked because they didn't value the anointing. They weren't anticipating what God was going to do. So in view of this amazing love, in view of the amazing love that the bridegroom has as he comes towards us, Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So we have two things here. We have offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, this call to give it all. It's a living sacrifice. And then holy and pleasing to God, it's got to be consecrated. We have to consecrate it all. There is a word on this house to consecration right now. There's two things we need to do. We need to recognize, we need to have a view of the mercy of God. And then we need to throw ourselves in his arms and say, make me holier. Holy Spirit, anoint me again. Because he makes us holy and he sanctifies us. We've been justified, but he sanctifies us over and over so that everything we do can be offered up to him as pleasing. So if we look at some passages on this, we look at Joshua, Colossians, Deuteronomy, and Matthew, and I'm going to move through these somewhat quickly. Um, but we start in Joshua 3.5, and we heard this from Diana and June as well, and I want to keep bringing it back up. We have to remember what God's called us to. Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan. They're getting ready to go into that promised land, and they can remember the wonders that God did at the Red Sea, Consecrate yourselves because you're going to walk as if on dry land again. We turn to uh, Colossians 1.22. And it says, but he has not reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, but not he, sorry, reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Now, when we think of sacrifice, a lot of times we think about sacrifice in terms of death, but Jesus is the only one that's called to really die because only Jesus' sacrifice and death could have paid the price to justify all of us. So the reconciliation that Christ has done through his physical body for us calls us living sacrifices. Living sacrifices that we can lay down our bodies as living sacrifices to him. Deuteronomy 6, 5. 
sums up all the law and the prophets, saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And we think very Western post-enlightenment about our strength, but our strength is actually tied to our bodies. And this word here, miod, cannot be separated from the concept of body. What was Jesus' body for? It was to be broken for us. All of his strength, all of his joy. And what does he call us to, to love him with all of our strength, with all of our bodies? This is our offering to him, living bodies, being daily sacrificed for him. We think about this with Cain and Abel. We want to be giving our best in sacrifice. We want to give all that we have to him. So if we look again at Matthew 25, we get another glimpse into the kingdom of heaven and what this looks like as we lay down this living sacrifice that is all of our strength and all of our bodies. And again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey, and the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. This is all of his resources, all of his miod, with all of his strength. He takes what he's given, and he makes more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. And his master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you not, have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money in deposit with bankers. So when I returned, I would have received it with an interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if we go back to Deuteronomy 6, 8, and we think about this, love the Lord your God with all of your strength, with all of your miod. The word miod in Hebrew, its most literal translation is muchness. Now, we don't ever say, I'm going to love God with all my muchness, because that's too much. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we want to love him with all of our muchness. And this word also can be translated into resources and abundance. And this is what separates the first two servants from that last servant. And this is what separates Zacchaeus from the rich young ruler. 
Because the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus both had an abundance. They had extra resources, but Zacchaeus was willing to give them back to God, and the rich young ruler could not love God with his abundance. Even though he fulfilled all of the law and the prophets up to that point, his abundance was what he had earned. And this third servant, what had he forgotten? His view of the master. He didn't view the master as loving and kind and merciful. He viewed the master as hard and taking what he hadn't earned. Sometimes we're like that. Actually, at the end of the school year going into my trip back to Asia, I always viewed teaching as probably one of the areas that I've like got five talents. <laughs> and I'm always like, oh, so in teaching. This is, I probably shouldn't share this while I'm teaching. But I really felt like teaching was my easy area. I struggle with writing and research, and it's, it's hard. It's work. It's a discipline for me. But teaching always came easy. And for the first time in 13 years, this summer, I had seven, or this spring, I had 70 students, and I had five students that did not like me. And one of the students wrote this phrase in the um, student evaluations and said, Dr. Stoles does not know how to teach this material. If she doesn't figure out how to teach it, you should fire her and hire someone who can. <laughs> so I'm getting ready to pour out from my abundance <laughs> to teach in Asia, a place that I prayed for my whole life. And you know what I felt like? I felt like I had one talent instead of five. And I thought about the, the difference between people with lots of talents, lots of abundance, like all those rich people who came in the temple to put their tithes before the Lord. And then I thought about that poor widow who had one mite, and she gave it to God. And so going into Asia, I said, God, I might have one mite, but I can't be like that servant who in view, who lost his view of God's loving kindness and God's mercy and couldn't sow for the master. And when he returns, may we recognize that the talents we received were his in the first place. So whether it was five or two or one, they were all his to begin. And so this is my living offering, God, that I'm going to go and I'm going to pour my heart out. And can I tell you that if we think back to that oil, it was like the widow, right, that goes to Elisha and says, I'm out of oil. I have all these dead are coming. And he says, well, go and get some jars. So she goes out and gets some jars. And every jar she had was filled. How many jars are you collecting? How much oil do you think God's willing to pour out on you? Because I went and I poured out what I thought was a tiny amount of oil. And the oil kept coming. And I had some of the most prophetic, some of the most anointed lessons in Asia that I've ever had in my entire teaching career. And every single one of those students were Christians working in a place where it was illegal to be exactly who they were. And they were working in business and looking for ways to serve God with all of their muchness, the tiny amount that it was. David, if you can flip to the next slide. And one of my students looked around, um, yep, one of my students looked around and realized all of the pastors in this country are in poverty because it's illegal to baptize people in the Holy Spirit. It's illegal to have churches that are radical for God. And so they live in abject poverty, praying for their next meal to come. And she said, what can I do? And so she went to a group of pastors and she said, give me whatever you have, whether it's $10, $15, $20, and I'll take it and I'll go buy something that I can sell at a profit. So about 12 pastors gave her money and she went and she bought ice cream rolling machines. 
I've never seen ice cream rolling machines, but now I'm back in the US, I see them all over the place. So she went and bought one ice cream rolling machine and she sold it and made several thousand dollars in profit. And she distributed it back to all of the pastors. Here you go, here's my abundance. She said, now, if you wanna give me some money again, I'll go and buy three. And so they gave her money again and she went and bought three ice cream rolling machines and she went and sold all those ice cream rolling machines to some guy in Texas. See, there's a real world application to everything in the scripture. And she went back, and now all of a sudden she has a business. She has a living sacrifice of serving the kingdom of heaven so that people can minister and be supported in the work that God's called them to do, but that the rest of the church isn't let off the hook. They also are living sacrifices that in everything they do, they share with the abundance of their hands. This is our true and proper worship. And I'm going to wrap up. I know I'm right at time, but this is the last point I want to go into. David, if you can go to the next slide. I want to look at our true and proper worship out of just three passages. Okay, so Genesis 2, Colossians 3, and Matthew 25. So when we turn to Genesis 2, um, we see that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And we see in this passage two different, we see work and we see keeping. And the word work is actually in the Hebrew abad, and the word keep is shamar. And the word work abad is translated almost everywhere else in the Old Testament as worship. So God placed Adam in the garden to worship, to serve. And then we see that he placed him in the garden to keep it, to guard it, to care for it. And in other translations, when we move into Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua, we see there's also a concept of serving others. Because initially it was just Adam in the garden, so he didn't have to serve anyone else. Right. But here's what's important to realize about Genesis 2. And I know I shared this a long time ago, but I'm a slow learner, so maybe some of you are as well. This is Genesis 2. The fall hasn't happened yet. God created Adam and put him in the garden to work it. And anybody know what happens in Genesis 14? I don't have any frogs, so you won't get a reward. But what does God say? He says, let us make man in our image, right? So he says, let us make man in our image. And then he places him in the garden to work and keep it. And in Genesis 1, it says, when God, you know, we read it as God created, it actually says God was working. God was working. On the third day, he worked. On the fourth day, he worked. On the fifth day, he worked. And then he put man in the garden in his image to work. We have this amazing call to work, and it's our true and proper worship. So let's flip forward to Colossians 3 and look at this passage in Colossians. When you think about your new revelation of work and worship, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, Paul was a rabbi. Paul was a Pharisee. And I really think when we look at this passage in light of Genesis 2:15, Paul was probably teaching Genesis. And he was saying, in light of the fact, the whole passage before is saying, you are now redeemed, you're a holy priesthood, all of these things. And then he says, whatever you do, remember, this is the Garden of Eden. This is what you were created for, to work as if you're working for the Lord, 
to serve God in everything that you are doing. This is so practical, but I'm not calling you to work because we know that works aren't going to get us anywhere. I'm calling you to reflection because Jesus said he only did what he saw the Father doing. We serve a God who works, but our work isn't tied up in the, the reward we're going to get. Our work is tied up in that the Father in heaven is doing and we can be doing on earth. And this is our worship. So when we think about this, we land up at the very last passage in Matthew 25. And let's just go through this as we close. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a a shepherd (laughs) separates the sheep, a lot of S's there, from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Behold, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom of heaven prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on the left, the goats, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you. Whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away to eternal punishment and the righteous to eternal life. So we see in Matthew 25, first, the oil, the resources that God has gifted us with. What are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with the anointing that God has put on you? Because you are called holy. And I want you to think, on the back of your pieces of paper, if you're taking notes, I want you to think about what talents has God given you. What resources, what passions, what abundance has God given you? It doesn't have to be in money. Mine was kind of in teaching, sort of, this summer, as I had faith for it. But what talent has God given you? And how many of us have taken that talent and we sowed it and we felt like, oh, I didn't really reap a return on that one. Harvest was pretty small. And the next time God gives you a talent, you bury it in the ground to keep it safe. For when that wave comes again, and you're like, then I'll pull out my talent. When it's, I feel like I have a lot of abundance to sow. But whether you feel like the, the widow with one might, or you feel like the guy who just got the five Midases, and five Midases were 20 years of wages. Whether you feel like God has handed you a, a fortune, write down what those talents are. Because the last thing in this passage that the rich young ruler couldn't do was lay down the abundance of those talents. When the harvest comes, what are you going to do with it? You can't have a harvest if you buried all your talents in the ground. It's not going to happen. 
But as we hold those up to God because they were his in the first place, he's entrusted you with the talents, with the passions, with the desires of your heart. As you sow those, he's going to return. And in the meantime, we're going to see outpourings and outpourings of his Holy Spirit that are going to refresh us and remind us of our anointing. That we are the sowers of this harvest. We think sometimes that when Jesus says the fields are ripe with harvest, that it's kind of like abstract thing that Jesus did for us. No, we are the sowers. We are the people called to the harvest so that when he returns, we can offer it up to him. So as I sat in the last place this summer, I sat in, a, in the back of an auditorium in L.A. And a young man got up and he, you're good for one last story, right? Okay, good, good, good. Okay, if you're not, it's okay. I understand. Um, and he got up on stage, and I hadn't really thought about that last piece, the prisoner piece. And it's really easy to serve God when you're in Asia and you're serving persecuted Christians, and they love Jesus with all their heart. And this lawyer, he was a young lawyer, um, and on his gap year, when he was 18 years old, he went to Uganda. And he went into Uganda, and he had worked with uh, refugees, and he was pre-law. And he went to Uganda, and he went to the prisons in Uganda. And people get sent to prison in Uganda for all kinds of things. They get death sentences for all kinds of things. With no trial, with no lawyers. We take it for granted sometimes, I think, that we get, are guaranteed by law in the U.S. a fair trial. Fair trials aren't guaranteed in other places in the world. And he walked into this prison, and it was packed. And if you think about the size of this stage, there would have been about 100 women in a room, all on death sentences, no beds, no toilets, no food, no dignity. And his heart was broken as he walked through the prison. And as he was on this tour, he passed a room, and there was a man laying naked on the floor by a toilet. And he said, well, who is this man? And they said, we don't know. He was picked up for indecent exposure because he was lying naked in the street. And we brought him in, and we have no identification. We don't know who his family is. He's very sick. He's rotting away. We're just leaving him there to die. And his heart broke, and he said, could I come back tomorrow? And they said, well, I guess, yeah, if you want. We're not going to put any money into him. He's going to die anyway. He's a criminal. And he came back the next day, and he got a nurse to go with him. And they wrapped their faces with bandages first because his flesh was half rotted off. And they washed him. And they, as he slowly regained consciousness, they tried to feed him. And they got him a cot to lay on by this toilet. And they gave him some dignity. And they expressed the mercy of God in light of God's mercy. And he left, and he came back the next morning, and, and the cot was gone, and the man was gone. And he said, well, what happened? And they said, well, in the night, he passed away. But in his heart, he knew that it didn't matter that he didn't see a miracle of healing, that he didn't see him set free whether he was there justly or not. But in view of God's mercy, he was able to clothe himself in compassion so that somebody else would feel God's compassion. And most of us aren't going to go to Uganda. I heard that story and I cried and I felt so moved by it and I did not feel called to Uganda. Um, but in light of God's mercy, what are we going to do? You are consecrated. And if you don't feel consecrated, consecrate yourselves. 
We got told to in June, so you better start consecrating yourselves. Um, Wash yourselves, accept what God has done for you, what Christ did for you. And then recognize that his Holy Spirit is promised to us to anoint us. Not so we can do works and gain his favor, but so we can reflect him. Because we were created in his image in this earth. So if we want to see waves that go from ankle deep to knee deep to hip deep, that engulf all of who we are, not so we die, but so we live as sacrifices for his kingdom. David, can you go to the next slide? And we think about this picture of mercy. And you think, who? Who is standing alongside me? that doesn't have enough light right now to see the promises that are coming, go stand next to them. And if it's you, go stand next to somebody else and let your oil be filled. Because with Jesus, we're promised a continual outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that he's coming to comfort us. He's coming to anoint us so that our lamps don't go out. So let's give it all. Let's give it all today. Let's look at those talents and say, God, thank you so much for these. I can sow them because I don't fear you as a hard master, because I have a view of your mercy, so I can lay it down because I have no fear of losing all that you've given me. Because when we do this, we don't worship today. It was so beautiful this morning. The worship team did a great job of reminding us of God's mercy. But I can't do it on a Sunday morning anymore. I've got to walk into my workplace on Monday and know that that worship is continuing. That this holy sacrifice is continuing. And maybe you don't recognize the oil that you have on your hands. But if you have believed in Christ, you've been anointed. You've been called holy. You've been called priests in his kingdom. And you know when the good Samaritan came along and he saw that Jew laying sick, that everybody else went around. It says he anointed him with oil and he wiped his wounds with oil. What are you going to do with the oil that is on your hands? Every person that you touch, do you know that they're being touched by holiness? Diana said that everything that touches the altar is made holy because of Jesus. We carry that anointing everywhere we go. we go. So if we go back again, David, to the next slide, and we think about Matthew 25, we have oil, we have abundance that we can give to God. It's not ours. There's no fear in this. Because what does he do? He says, this is good and pleasing, good and faithful servant, just like in Romans 12. And then this is when we really truly see kingdom come. I don't see kingdom come. We get glimpses of kingdom come on Sunday. But if we really want to see kingdom come, we're going to see it on Monday. And this is the wave that we leap into that is like the entire ocean because there is a coming. And just like when Jesus did it all on the cross and the whole earth shook, he's going to return and the earth is going to shake again. And that wave is going to hit every nation on earth. And that wave is going to change it all. And where are you going to be? How much oil will be in your lamp? What are you going to do with the things that he's called you to? If not this generation, the next one. When I think about Matthew 25, we know Jesus was called rabbi over and over again. And so I'm going to finish with turning back to my favorite passage in the entire Bible. (laughs) And David, if we flip over to Proverbs 31, we see the passage that maybe Jesus was preaching out of that day. 
And we see this um, entrepreneurial woman, wisdom in the marketplace. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable, like those two faithful servants. Her lamp doesn't go out at night like those five foolish bridesmaids. She puts her hand to the distaff and she holds her hands to the spindle. And this might sound like domestic work to some of you, but actually this is a picture in ancient Israel of the goddess of war, who in Assyria held in one hand the ability to create and in the other hand all of the resources to create with. And with her abundance, she opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. So can we all stand? Are we going to believe it today? Whether you're standing what feels like on the beach in dry sand, because the wave has pulled out and you're just longing for the wave to come back and cool you down again. The sun is beating down on you. The beaches are hot and horrible places. You all know that. And as the sun is beating down on you, you're just longing for that wave to come back again. Or you could be standing ankle deep and you could be thinking, God, this is so refreshing. Thank you for the things that you spoke to me today. And he's like, wait, it's coming. It's coming. That your revelation is going to go higher. That I'm not looking to knock you over and plant your face in the sand. Although that does happen sometimes. Sometimes we get a a face plant in the sand and we get a different strategy the next time we run into the waves. But God is saying, that's not my heart for you. I'm not a wicked master. Everything that I give you is good and beautiful, and I want to give you more. All of my happiness. He shared all of his kingdom with those two servants, both the one who had four and the one who had ten. There's no difference. And the only reason the guy with ten got all the Midases is because the Midases were probably like gold bars, and it would have been really hard to like melt it down and split it up between the two. And the story would have gotten really long, but they were both blessings and pleasing to God. And so today, just pray this week over these things that God has entrusted to you. Because you are holy. And if we want to see another outpouring that comes and that we can leap into and feel the ocean quake and all the nations of the world be reached. Because the bridegroom is coming. We don't know the day or the hour. So I want to invite you forward today. If you didn't have anything to write down on that piece of paper, we want to pray for you. You said, well, I don't know. I don't feel like I have any oil. I was awake all night and my lamp is empty. I don't know what I'm going to do when the bride comes, when the bridegroom comes. We're going to pray for you because his heart is that you will meet the Holy Spirit and he fills up our oil again and again. Paul says, be filled constantly with the Holy Spirit. It's not too late. He hasn't caught you unaware. And for those of you who know that you have an abundance, and even if it feels like one talent and you're not sure what to do with it, we want to pray for you. That you realize the oil you are holding is the Holy Spirit and he's going to illuminate your path. And for those of you who are getting ready to jump into the waves, to dive into all that God has for you, we want to come alongside you so you never lose sight of his mercy. That you never lose sight. Sometimes bobbing in the waves, you lose sight as you go up and down of the next waves that are coming. But God says, this is what I've called you all to, to stand together. So that you will know the abundance of my love. When you lay it all down for me, you can truly bear my image in this earth. 
this is his kingdom come. So Father God, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that your body did it all. That your body being broken for us did it all. That you died on the Christ so that on the cross so that our bodies would be sacrifices of life. Living sacrifices. Father God, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, illuminate in people's hearts and minds and in all of their resources what you have called them to. Father God, I pray right now for harvests. Whether it's one Midas, two Midases, or five, that Father God, your Holy Spirit guides in the harvest. That your Holy Spirit guides that we have an abundance to sow into your kingdom. That Father God, when our eyes are so fixed on your mercy, we can't help but put, put on compassion. This is our worship of you, Father God. We thank you, Father God. Amen.